a lot of people have been DMing me and asking me how I feel about the higher dose infrared products that I've been posting over the past few weeks. And I have to say, I really do like them a lot. A lot of my clients have infrared saunas in their house, but with higher dose, I get all of the benefits of sweating, burning calories, glowing skin, and better sleep all in the comfort of my home. It's like having your own infrared sauna. What I do is lie in the portable infrared sauna blanket, turn up the heat, and sweat everything out. It's great after a night out or a flight or before a big event to increase blood circulation, aka radiant and youthful skin, and de-bloat. I also sleep so well after using it. They recently came out with a red light face mask that stimulates collagen, activates glowing skin, reduces fine lines, and rejuvenates cells. It's great because it's quick and gentle, so it can be used before a big event. Get your own Asana blanket, mat, and red light face mask today at higherdose.com. You can use promo code QUINN15 at checkout to receive 15% off. That's higherdose.com, promo code QUINN15. Or the easiest way to view all of the products in one place is on shopmyshelf.us slash quinmurphy. And don't forget to use the code QUIN15 to save your 15% discount. I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. James Kelliardos is a New York-based makeup artist and founder of the legendary publication and experimental agency Visionaire. Kelliardos is in high demand always by brands such as Louis Vuitton, NARS, MAC, and Tom Ford Beauty. He has collaborated with photographers such as Stevens, Mizell, and Klein, Richard Burbridge, Albert Watson, Paolo Reversi, and Jurgen Teller on work featured in publications such as Vogue, Elle, Vanity Fair, W, and V. His celebrity clientele includes Miley Cyrus, Tilda Swinton, Marissa Tomei, and Michelle Williams. James, welcome in my chair. Thank you. Hi, Quinn. Hi. I mean, we can't do a full, no bio would fully represent the body of work and everything that you do. So, that was perfect. Um, how's it going? You know, I was saying earlier, we haven't met yet. I, I saw you once at the flagship club Monaco on the lower level men's <laughs> department. Do we, and for me, that I, was like a major celebrity sighting. And so I, I, I just used to was live, like, oh. I used to live, um, a couple doors away from there. So it was like a kind of addiction to just go in there and see what, what Laura Piana collabs they had going off no they did these collabs <laughs> sometimes they did have these good collabs and um i thought like i feel like i don't know they had some good people helping style them for a while i also felt like they were doing prada but like you know it was way obviously way cheaper you know so you just like go in there and get get that version of it or whatever i also i kind of went through like not a fat stage but what i went through like a i gained a I don't know. Anyway, I couldn't fit into my pants for a while. I kept ripping them every time I'd step into a New York City cab, which are some of them are higher, like the Jeep ones. I literally ripped like five pairs of pants for like a moment in my life when um, I lived around there and like Italy opened up, Kaiser Bakery opened up and this 
an incredible Zero Ottenove uh, pizza place from the Bronx opened up across the street. And literally, I would call them and be like, hey, it's James. And they'd be like, okay, come down in three minutes and you'd have a pizza ready. So <laughs> I had a little big butt moment for a second. If it makes you feel better, I've never owned a pair of jeans that didn't rip or pants that didn't <laughs> eventually rip in the crotch ever. <laughs> it's a built-in expense. And I'm like, you get two lives out of it. You can patch them once, maybe again, if you love it. And then you got to move on. Yeah. So I'm in, wait, so I'm you, in good so shape you, now, which is like kind of cool. I mean, do you work out or what do you do? I, um, I really watch what I eat. I'm a vegetarian and, um, I just eat really clean. I eat all organic vegetables and um, I don't know. I do work out a little bit, but you know, it's sort of like, like, like I just finished a, a tour with Miley and we, you just have to be careful because you're in these hotels and you could just eat French fries every day. And I just don't want to, I don't want to put that in my body firstly but you know when you're exhausted and traveling like crazy and you're not getting proper sleep i tend to want comfort food and so it just helps me to be focused on a kind of not a diet like a restrictive diet but just like okay you're only gonna put good things in your body so therefore it helps you make certain kinds of choices yeah, I feel like there's this ongoing joke that either you're like making money and working and busy but fat, or you're like sitting around and like feel great and in shape, but like the phone's not ringing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard for my whole life. It's hard for me to do something consistently because of my schedule. And, you know, I love taking classes, I love doing extracurricular things, but I, you know, I used to, I had this Pilates great girl for a while and she was just like, look, you just keep canceling. And I just, you know, I'm like, yeah, but I'll pay for it. And she was like, I don't care. It's just like, I have to sit here for an hour. I don't, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, like it just can't wow. ever happen consistently. Cause I just, I never know what time I'm going to get off of a shoot, especially now. I mean, honestly, since, well, you know, for quite a many years the shoots just are crammed now with you know you have to do photo shoots and cover all of that all the shots and then you have to do video then you have to do instagram then you have to do tiktok then you know you have to do all these things in the day which you didn't have to do before so i just right but also isn't like your standards are just as high as they were before when you had all day to make you know three one picture or four yeah beautiful images <laughs> yeah. i mean with irving penn literally we would work one day on a photo like all those great irving penn pictures i worked on they took a day to make and he had worked on them already for months thinking about them you know they were they were months in the making and they're legendary you know there's they still right, but they've out. lasted this long so if you think about it the 20 images you have to do for like even a beauty shoot. Yeah. You know, they're all forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't, I, I just, I, I, it's yeah. (laughs) At the level that you work at James though, with like high end clients who are paying a lot of money for an advertising campaign. Is that still the case that they want more than, than you think is? Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We used to, I mean, even, Oh, you know, people can't believe we used to go away for, you know, we'd go to St. Bart's for five days to do editorial 
you know, for French Vogue or uh, a campaign would be days. And then they'd work in kind of, you know, relaxing time. And they'd work in all these things because everyone wanted to have a good time and the clients wanted to have a good time too. So we'd work hard and you'd wake up early and you'd shoot late or, you know, sometimes you wanted the, some photographers wanted like the first morning light and the last light of the day. So you'd have to wake up at like three in the morning to catch the light that dawned at four thirty, And then, you know, then you'd have the day off and then you'd shoot for another couple hours at the end of the day in the golden light. And, you know, it just, there was more time and there wasn't, there wasn't video, you know, video takes a lot of time. Film takes just a lot of time. And I, I feel like a lot of people in our, in the fashion world, um, it, it, they still don't really appreciate that or give the video people time. It's always like, okay, video, we got to do video. And it takes, you know, they give people 30 seconds to shoot something. And um, you know, you my friend was shooting uh, recently and was saying that actually the video seemed more important than the actual photos, and that the magazine felt like that was what people were going to watch more. Well, for sure, that is the fact, and I'm always reminding people on set. I'm like, you guys, you're going to want this video. Like, this is the thing you're going to post more than the photo. So give it some, give it some love. So, do you think because of your background, and we're going to get into this as one of the founders of visionaire world. Do you think that you have that kind of um, ability to, to see a shoot or to see a bigger picture as a publisher or an editor or something like that, as opposed to just focusing on, you know, making sure the lip is perfect. Yes, I definitely see, you know, I've produced a lot of things from plays to events to um, films and, um, experiences. So I definitely see it from that point of view. I see it from, I, I, I do see it from everyone's point of view, which is a little bit hard sometimes because sometimes I should just see it from the perfect lip point of view. Right. Have you ever had to release yourself from a job? <laughs> um, what do you mean? Meaning like you're the, cl- if you were on the client side and you were oh. like up for an option, <laughs> I was like, you're like, James, I'm sorry, but they, they've gone with someone else. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Not if I'm, I mean, if I'm involved and it's a kind of film, like a beauty film or something, I, I definitely want to do the makeup on it. We did this really cool film with Missy Raider for NARS, inspired by Francois NARS's mother. And um, that was really beautiful. And I definitely, I directed it, but I also wanted to do her makeup in it and she looked so gorgeous because i always had this i met missy for instance when she was like i don't know 15 or something and i always had this vision of her as like a major beauty girl like a breck girl meets you know 1980s revlon ads Mm. by richard avedon and so i finally got to fulfill that dream with her i mean some i honestly some dreams i carry on for a really long time and some dreams i know you have to let go of but some of them, I'm just like, no, I still want to do it. Well, it must be so satisfying when you finally, I mean, did you pitch that idea to NARS? And yeah. you're like, yeah. Yeah. So let me ask you something. I would be terrified to have to do makeup for NARS. 
I mean, for anybody who like it's their brand no, and they are a makeup artist. I know he that? he's so legendary. I mean, Francois is one of the best people I know, and he has exquisite taste in everything, in from his homes to his furnishings, his style, his fashion sense, his photography. He's an amazing photographer and and designer. He you know he he his hands are in everything that comes out of his company and he's just such a pleasure to work with he builds incredible teams we always work with patty wilson who's a total incredible visionary genius and she really pushes it so far and um amazing hairdressers and he he, it's just like this love fest when we all work together and and we work really hard i'm sorry james when you're going on set and you're like fuck this is francois nars i know you know you're good or amazing, whatever. That's not the point I'm trying to make. I'm trying to say, when you know you're going to be doing makeup and somebody who also does it is standing over your shoulder or going to see it, does that get in your head? Or how do you deal with that? Yeah, because he's so good. I mean, he's really the best. He's such a... he he He's done everything makeup-wise. He, right. he did no makeup makeup. He did incredible, every kind of makeup. He's And his his inspiration and like he just pulls from you know he'll be like oh you know this i remember this 70s french vogue cover when i was a kid and then she had a burnt orange lip and she drew it like this it was like this shape and you know he'll come over and will i always want him to come around because he always gives me some amazing tip that i've never thought of myself and he you know he's like this is how we used to do linda for you know French L and this is what Mizell and I did with, you know, he, he's just done the most incredible things. And, um, but you feel supported by him and not like, so it supported. makes you a better artist in that moment. Yeah. And if I don't, you know, I'll ask for his help. I mean, you know, I, I, and of course, yes, there's this perfection complex that I feel like we all have that, you know, yes, I want it to be absolutely perfect. And, um, groundbreaking and different and you know what i mean like he also right. he's so he's so great he always tells his marketing team to not go near me and to that i can do whatever i want and i can use whatever i want and you know it, he really wants a non-commercial environment when we're do you have doing- something like because you do runway shows and that's i mean no matter what how what who you are it's a live show anything can happen um, or you're producing theater or doing a shoot like that. Do you have something that you tell yourself or that you do so that you can do your best work? I mean, shows are so hard because there's just, it's, I mean, I, I really try to touch every single girl and do something on them and check them. I check everyone before they hit the runway, but sometimes it's just so chaotic and last minute. Like I, I do a lot of work with the Rodarte girls and, we do really kind of extreme looks often and it's, it's hard. Like we, we did this one show where we did glitter eyes and glitter lips and it was all perfect. We did it. And then they brought out like, you know, catering brings out these giant sandwiches like 10 minutes before the show. (laughs) And they're all eating these giant sandwiches and like the glitters going everywhere around their face. And I just, you know, I wanted to kind of die, but you just whip out the tape and make it work. I don't, you know, you, I, the show must go on. Like I definitely have like a show must go on sort of uh, attitude. So you just run like manic and 
get super stressed out. I think I have a kind of calm before the storm sort okay. of uh, body. <laughs> My you don't body get angry. Just, you don't get I, angry. No, I don't get angry because, I mean, everyone, I mean, most assistants that I've worked with throughout the years uh, have told me that I'm very calm and I, I don't scream at them like others i've heard do mm. i just don't think you get the best out of someone like yeah, definitely some people have come to me with like uh, you know again and again with like crooked eyeliner or a crooked lip and i'm like go do it again don't go do it again i eventually just probably do it myself because it just takes long it honestly it sometimes it just takes longer to like explain it to someone than just to like i i'm very fast at like a lip or eyeliner mm -hmm. at this point but my, I think what happens like often, like even in the tents, like you're working like at Bryant Park or whatever in the tents and the floorboards, for instance, are really crickety and they move. So like when people walk by you, your floor is actually moving. So I tense my entire body up and hold my body so still so that my arm and my hands can be moving smoothly, like for like a perfect eyeliner or something like that. And That's I don't realize... Pilates. It's I play. guess I don't know what it is, but like then I get home and I'm so you know I'm just so exhausted and so sore or like my I find that my uh I don't do Botox yet, but I really think I should because like my eyebrows hurt, like my eyebrows are like focused on this you know like kind of stressing out and focused on this uh, right you know eye or whatever we're doing and um. I, I mean, I, I find know. it really hard to do anything technical if I'm tense. Like, I think I do my best work if it's like shooting the shit and and feel really relaxed. Yes, me too. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like if it's like, oh my god, in the moment, you it you can do it, but it's yeah. a different kind. It's not as inspired. Or right. Effortless. I mean, the thing is, for for a show, you know what your kind of goal is, but let's say for an editorial shoot, like a beauty shoot, where you don't know exactly where it's going let's say then yes i need support and kind of creativity around me and if someone's being nasty like i mean through the years let's say some people have been a bit bullying let's say on set it doesn't make me wanna it doesn't inspire me like i'm not like oh i better turn it out for them like i i just right. kind of feel like well what is up with them it's making me feel I, I just don't know when that works. I mean, I guess maybe some people need sort of negative bullying. Have you felt that way in the last five years? <laughs> um, well, two years being like pandemic. Right. Two, uh, two pandemic. But let's, what do you mean? Like, um, because I, I, I'm sure so you've been doing this for 30 years. So I, I, and I know that the vibe before recent day was different than it is now. And I think there were, there was a lot more of that even. Yes. I would say like when, from when I started to recently, I, yes, people were a little more uh, manipulative. I would say, I think now uh, what I'm really happy about that the pandemic I think brought on was that this awareness of people's mental health and different states of mind and people's people not feeling the way they the way someone else might be feeling on set like it's not just assumed like hey we're all happy to be here and we're doing this great job someone might be going through something really tough and i feel like we're all a bit more gentle and sensitive to that 
Well, that's good. I do feel like that. Even like traveling the world, I feel like people are more, um, more, I feel like, like even traveling the world, I feel like people are way more sensitive to each other and patient, you know, like I was in Paris during fashion week and I was like, wow, they're like not calling me out on my bad French accent or, you know, like they're, mm. they're just like a little bit, people were much more patient and kind. It's like a one positive thing to come out of something really dark. Yeah. I think a yeah. lot of positive things have come out of it. Like but what? Yes. Like hor- horrible things too. Um, I think we're aware of having personal time. I think people appreciate being with friends more and there's not that whole kind of rat race work ethic is like that whole the whole rat race work ethic is just a little bit dropped down a few notches and people are being more careful with themselves and doing more self-care and aware of you know living not just working were you in the rat race before the pandemic yeah i think so i mean i just work since i was you know, 18, I feel like I've just been working like crazy. Um, so you're from Detroit. Um, yes, I'm from Detroit. I'm and from Detroit Greek. and I'm Greek and my parents were both Greek. And I moved, we moved into a town called gross point, which is a very preppy white, uh, suburb of Detroit. That's mm-hmm. quite wealthy. Like we're like Henry Ford had, his giant house. And so there's like really beautiful mansions and giant trees and golf courses and cut grass and shrubs. And then you go like literally a block away and there's like no street lamps and the roads are all potholed. And you know, it, it, the the contrast is very extreme. And and I grew up, um, I, I would say it was a very racist, um, place to grow up so it made me aware from a very young age about racism and i I always i always found it confounding and i never understood it and you know i I just never understood i never understood it i just don't know where it comes from and people i don't know why people would judge someone by their skin color it just doesn't make any sense to me my dad's from detroit um I actually only went there for the first time like two years ago and I, I, I felt a connection to it in some weird way, but it's um, very, I remember cool. him. Yeah. And it's going to have a, I mean, the, it's like all these old, beautiful, beautiful buildings that yeah. are just waiting to be, you know, rediscovered. Yeah. But um, I remember, you know, my uncles or my dad talking about the, the um, civil rights movement in Detroit. And that there- was probably before your time. But do you remember yeah. that feeling? <laughs> did you have a connection to it afterwards? Like, did you I think I was born? That? I think I was born in it. I think I was born during the race riots. So, um, I mean, even you know, is it correct to call them riots? Like, you know, words right. are so important. I feel like the you know the BLM movement has really helped us 
with the vocabulary of racism and how insidious it is in what we say, how we view things. I mean, the other day I was with someone and, and they were they were like, oh yeah, I live near the riots in LA. And I was like, you mean the protests? You know, like it, it's just, it, it's a, I was, I went to so many protests. They were protests. They weren't riots. They were protests. Like they were protesting against something wrong in our society. So right. it, it just, the vocabulary is so important. Yeah. I just got back from three weeks in LA and I was asking someone why it felt so dead and why all the, so many stores were closed on Melrose and whatnot. And they were like, oh, everything shut down from the Black Lives Matter protests. And, I, and then you're like, oh, oh, okay, I don't live here. So I'm going to take that at face value. And then I was like, that's not right. Like, this didn't close down from the Black Lives Matter protests. It's also like the housing market, the pandemic. Like, no, it's the pandemic. Hard to believe. The shops closed from the pandemic. They didn't close from the Black Lives Matter. Right. But I could have repeated that to somebody else who said it if I wasn't thinking about it and been like, oh, well, that was the Black Lives Matter protest. You know, it's like, ri- it's ridiculous. Like, that, right. that doesn't make any sense that it was a short term thing it didn't happen every single day like it's just it's people you know those people watch fox news or they're getting their information you know what during the during that summer when i had so many conversations with friends and people i knew and it i would i kept hearing the same oh it was almost like a script and they'd be like yeah but what about walmart or what about this you know and you'd know immediately it was like a red flag like oh oh right shit. like they're uh, they're completely racist like their their view their point of view is coming from a racist point of view and it, and they would say the same exact thing like all these different people would sort of give me the same script and i i what what i really think is positive is that i recognize it now I have the tools to understand what's happening and know how to kind of deal with it in the moment. Whereas before I think racist things would come up in my work or in my life. And I just felt uncomfortable and I wasn't really sure I didn't have a name for it. And now we have a name for it and you can call it out and you can call them out. And then it's sort of, at least, but how do you do that personally? What do you, like? What would what well, would like, you have said to somebody who said, "Oh, it was a Black Lives Matter protest. That's why everything's closed." Well, I would say <laughs> you're wrong. I would say you're wrong, and I know the facts. That I would just like tell them what the facts are. And I mean, for instance, like I used to go to like show so many show castings. You know, you go for the makeup test, and they'd be like, "This is our. We just finished casting the show." Like honestly, from from every kind of designer you can imagine. And they'd show me the board and there would be zero black or Asian girls in the whole entire, you know, 50 girls, 30 girls, whatever. And I was like, Oh, are you sure you're done casting? Yeah. Why? And I was like, well, because the way this board looks, you're going to be called a racist. If, if this is really your, if you're really done casting and this is your show, then you're going to be called a racist. And I would just say it like that. And then they would, they would literally 
start casting right in front of my eyes and they would get a black girl in or they would get an Asian girl in or they would they would be horrified at that notion that they but they just weren't aware even the memo went out i mean the cfda sent out a memo to everybody including european designers to be more diverse and it still would happen like you know so and you don't know where it's coming from you don't know if it's coming from the designer or if it's coming from the casting director or if it's coming from the producer like you just it's kind of like this un you have to unravel like a giant web of racism that just is kind of part of our life and you have to call it out or it just continues. And people, I don't think most people of course don't want to be that, but their actions speak louder than words. And we have to just keep addressing it every single day about, about all sorts of different subjects. But don't you think too, that like part of this, thing as for what as white people is also making room so like there's yeah. this like grumbling or like undercurrent of white artists now being like well now you can't get a job unless you're a person of color or of course the the photographer's x y and z because they're a person of color you hear this and i'm thinking i mean i, I my personal thing is yes i want to still work too but also who cares? You know, it's like, it's been the other way for so long that yeah. listen, if that's what it takes, like it's not the goal forever to have things be that way, but if that's what it takes, so be it. Yeah. We have to make up for this horrible behavior that we've all been a part of. We just have to, we have to like, I mean, I can't tell you the amount of shoots I've been on where, you know, there's a white girl and a black girl, the black girl, they're like, Oh, could you turn around and go a little bit behind the white girl? I mean, they're not saying it like that. Right. But like eventually literally the black girl would have no face and the white girl would be present front and present. Or if there's a group, the black girl would be like put behind people. Or, I mean, there's just time after time after time of, of these subtle, gentle, racist actions that I've been witness to. And you i absolutely used to say like um you can't do that like you you can't put the black girl behind the white girl you can't put her if you're going to shoot her from behind then you have to shoot the white girl from behind too you can't just do it one way like you have to balance it out some of it's a photographic i don't i don't i mean i can't you can't really defend it in any way honestly it's just but it it's awareness. Honestly, once people are aware of something and once there's education behind it, people do shift because I don't think I don't think inside of us people, most people are that. I really don't believe that. I just think it's through through um I just think it's through like this kind of continuum that has happened since you know, the beginning of magazines, let's say, or we're just used to a certain kind of thing. And it's so great now. I do think the internet has changed that, like that there's just more access to people promoting themselves and to, uh, there's more diversity out there because it's not dictated by one British white person saying what is beautiful you know what i mean like that just 
isn't happening anymore. And that's a great thing. It's a democratization of fashion. It's like everything that you hated about social media and how it can seem, you know, um, uninspired. It also has opened up and not allowed for the status quo in the way that it was forever. Yeah. I mean, I just did a shoot for a magazine with uh, Sienna Miller and it literally, we I don't know, I feel like we shot it last week and it's out already. You know, we used to have to wait three months at least for something to come out and then you'd have to wait if you were an actress or a model you'd have to wait for someone to choose you and then shoot you and then maybe that picture got in and maybe it didn't you didn't know till three or four months later and now it's like you can just shoot shoot yourself and and promote yourself and have other people supporting you and you you have way more supporters and eyeballs on you than you did with a magazine page that you know yes absolutely was run by all white people you know what i mean so like the taste level i mean i i, I worked so much with richard avedon when i was um you know the last 10 years of his life and he of course was a giant civil rights advocate he 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 put it in his work he put it in his fashion work he went to the civil rights movement and photographed it he photographed important black every artist politicians you know um and white people who supported the movement and so i i learned of course a lot from him and you know he threatened to quit his contract like at harper's bazaar and vogue if they didn't print pictures of black models that he shot and you know he put his work on the line and he used his status to help the movement and to push forth a diverse kind of beauty. And that's, you know, we all have to do that. It's interesting that people like him or Saint Laurent was really well known for having diverse models on the runway. And then in the 90s, it completely reverted back to, you couldn't even be a brunette practically. You had to be a Russian, you know, blonde Russian on the runway. I remember Prada for years had only basically that one Eastern European aesthetic. Yeah. And you wonder how, like, I think that it's just something that's always has to be a constant conversation that if you just go are lazy about it, all of us, it's, it, it could potentially just go back to being what it, you know, what it was. Yeah. So like, even when this is over, this whole, not this, but this whole movement now, I mean, I do, I will say that there are, there's more representation than ever before in my lifetime, but this could all end if we, if we're just like, okay, okay, we gave people of color their moment. Now let's go back to, you know, the Eastern European wave. Right. It can't be a trend. It has to be a way of life. And I do remember that Prada moment. I do remember when it became quite fascist, I would say, in fashion where people wanted all the girls to look alike and walk alike. And it, you know, I was lucky enough to see it before where every model had a different walk and they had a different, their personality really came forth. And it was so exciting because you'd see, you know, Shalom would come out and she walked like to me like a giraffe. And then like, you know, Nadia Auerman would come out and she had like legs up to her, up to my eyeballs. And, you know, she would walk another way and Linda would walk another way. And, 
you know, it, it was just so exciting because you'd, you'd thrill at like a person coming out who was an individual. And then it all became kind of homogenized and, and uniform. And it, it honestly, during that time, it scared me because of course I grew up as a kid, like looking at Saint Laurent shows and women from, you know, all over the world were in his shows. And it was just so, so beautiful because they weren't, it wasn't like, oh, they're exotic. It was like, they are a part of this whole movement and this whole show. And, and because they were so famous in Europe, like so many designers used all these different beautiful women. And it was just kind of so weird to me that suddenly there were all blonde girls. And honestly, a lot of it had to do with, um, too, like I kept hearing like hairdressers would chime in and be like, well, oh, but we want that, you know, everyone has that thin blonde hair and we want it just like that. And they wanted like everyone to have the same hair. So like, of course, you, no one, everyone doesn't have the same hair except for certain types of people. So it already, you know, just cancels out certain people from being in the show. So they're not even wearing their own hair anyway. (laughs) I mean, now there's like so much more, you go to like, you know, I just saw the Louis Vuitton show in Paris and every girl had her own hair. There was like a curly redhead and then a straight blonde and a Afro black girl and a, you know, like all different types of hair and personalities. And that's like, okay. Let me ask you about something though. What about the homogenized face? I mean, if you look at the it girls at the (laughs) Vogue Paris is on Instagram, there's like 10 girls who they all follow and they all, to me, have a certain perfected look where it's it's so perfect that it's it's void of any character or personality. I mean, yeah. if you look at the Grammys or in, um, people who are, I mean, it's a lot of people who are under 30. It's like, you know, the lips, the nose job, the filler, and it's this quest for perfection. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you make of all of that? I, I don't know. It's very confusing looking at a face that everyone is saying is the most beautiful face when it's created by a plastic surgeon. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I just like character. I like people's differences and not everyone needs the same size lip or the same kind of nose. Like, you know, I, I like a nose. I like, <laughs> I just like different shape, everything. Like, you know, everything can be beautiful. So I, I do find it weird that people are trying to look exactly like someone else also. I, I, I just don't, I, I grew up in another time, like when people didn't want to look like anyone. Like, people, when I was young, people didn't want to be popular. I mean, like the whole idea, the whole notion mm. of like being popular, it was like, no one wanted popular. Like no one Cause that, wanted, that was too corny. It was just like, you don't want to be popular is like average. I don't know. It's like the, the me- median mark on a scale. Like you wanted to be, we wanted to be in the margins. We wanted to be like the, on the opposite extremes of the middle. Now everyone is like pushing to get into the middle and, it just is so um, boring. I mean, you know what I mean? Like diversity doesn't mean just skin color. It's like 
different everything. Like, you know, like I saw um, Paloma, the model who walked in the Chloe show. And like when she came out, it was so cool. And that whole show was really about, I don't know, it was like female warriors. And she just stomped down the runway, like so strong. And, you know, and she's larger, let's say, than some of the other models and her body and her breasts and her face and uh, the cheeks, like everything is so gorgeous. And you're like, why did this take so long to see this? Like, why? It it just, we're we're silly. Like we're very um, stuck, you know, like fashion is very slow and, everyone thinks it moves so quickly, but it really doesn't. It, it's very slow moving and, and it's about following. So like, like, like online following, I, I just, it's something I don't really know why that's such an obsession right now, because before it was sort of like, you didn't want to follow anybody. So the fashion industry, in my opinion, has an obsession with being cool. And I'm not talking about the celebrity side of what we do because that they think that they're cool, but they're not. But the fashion side, when you're on a set a photo shoot or whatever, there's this whole like cloud that follows everybody about wanting to be cool. Yes. What is, is it important for James <laughs> Kelliardos to, to come across as cool for what you do and to have your career? Um, I think I've done some definitely cool things, but I don't think I'm cool. I feel like my husband's cool. He's really cool looking and what he does. But um, I think most people in fashion definitely are not cool. Cool is like, cool to me is being really individualistic and original. And most, like I said, most fashion people just follow. I mean, also cool is not about money. And fashion now is all about money and brands and corporations. I don't think it's cool to be a walking ad for a corporate brand. You know, like somehow that's become the status quo. I mean, what even I think, designers are, are following the money. Like absolutely. The, the, their muses are not cool. Their muses are people that they're going to get clickbait from. Right. It's, you know, I, I mean, it was funny at some of the fashion shows I went to. I'm like, who are these people? I, I just didn't, you know, it used to be all fashion editors, of course. And now it's, it's all these, um, other. <laughs> but, but James, if I'm hiring you to do the makeup, I'm hiring you because of obviously your talent and your skill, but also your, you know, perspective, your references, your, um, intuition so i want to be in a room with people like with a cool brand with people who are cool don't you think that it's something that you as an as someone who works in fashion have to project yeah i mean definitely i think my work could look cool on someone or i could help someone find that cool look but um yeah so i do think Yes, making choices, making the right choices when you're on set. I mean, that's what I, I often tell young, younger makeup artists. It's like, it's not just your technique. Like, yes, you can do a perfect this or that. But it's really when you're on set, it's like, what choice are you going to make? What 
what are you going to put on that face and what are you not going to put on that face? What, what, what will make it look great for the photograph? Not just, you know, it's hard because you're like, you're in a makeup room and it's, the light is different, everything you get on set, you really have to study that photograph that's coming through and be like, mm, it's just too much. Like take it off, take it off, take it off. Like take away some elements so that you reveal this character that you're trying to build up. But don't you think that it's never, I'll say in my opinion, it's never been less important to have those, those um, abilities because what we view things through now, which is social media, that's where we get a lot of our information from. um, It's more about being the loudest in the room. It's not necessarily you're looking at a magazine and you can actually see the paper and you can see that a certain texture come through the, the page that, that, do those skill sets that were so important to you when you were coming up um, that in my opinion now are not valued, how does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, they're not really valued. Do um, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do know what you mean. You used to have to be an encyclopedia of references. You don't need to know that now. I am. You know, sometimes I'll say like, oh yeah, like Marissa Berenson in – you know, cabaret or something. And everyone looks at me like they don't know what I'm talking about. So, right. Yeah. Like I I have a lot of skills that don't really have a place (laughs) today to make money, to make money. I'll say they do have a place, but maybe they're not like a brand wouldn't necessarily care if you knew that to hire you and you wouldn't need that to have 5 million followers on Instagram. Right. If I posted me in a bathing suit and it got, you know, tons of likes, they'd probably like that more than if I, you know, had a full knowledge of beauty and what's actually going to sell also and how to apply something correctly. Like now I, you know, I do a beauty job sometimes and like the marketing director is telling me what brush to use. And I was like, I I mean, it happened the other day. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like the loose powder is going to like fly all over the place. You don't use it with a brush like that. And they're like, no, no, no. We, we decided that's the brush you're going to use with this product. And I was like, but it doesn't work. Like, and they don't care. Like, it's just, it's not about the truth. It's about, honestly, I do think marketing is a big, huge problem too, because they're kind of driving this clickbait kind of attitude towards fashion and beauty when we should be upholding a certain kind of other kind of truth Integrity. and 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 just truth like if you're honest about the ingredients in a product or the application and and the effect you're really going to get as opposed to like what you know they write it out on some pdf and they think that it's the truth suddenly it's like well no that's not it's not the truth. You're not going to get that effect and it's not going to last 60 hours. So why just because you said it doesn't mean, you know, it definitely is going to make people buy it, but you're lying to people. So why, why are we continuing this thing? And I, I do think they, honestly, I feel like those people have aided the fact that we had to deal with Trump for those horrible years. You know, it's like, it's this, it's a similar thing. It's a, it's a non-truthfulness and it's about sort of claiming likes and viewers in a false way, as opposed to getting them in an, in, in an authentic way. That's, 
say it and therefore it is. Yeah, because they presented it to the heads of the company, therefore it is. And it's like, no, just because you put together this PDF, like, you know what I mean? It just, it's very. So, how do you tell them to back off? I just, well, I try to, but sometimes it just doesn't work and you have to kind of. But but I could imagine someone like a Stefan Marais <laughs> telling them to go fuck themselves. You know what I mean? And and I'm I'm a huge fan of his. I'm just saying there's a certain personality type who would be like, yeah. I don't give a shit what you're saying. This you need to back up and I'm gonna do it my way. Is that is I that mean your MO? the thing is even if I do it my way, they're still gonna communicate it a certain way because they're in charge of the communication. I mean, with Francois Nars, he he saves you know he kind of doesn't allow for any of that on set but a lot of um a lot of other companies are they're really run by marketing people it's not run by true creatives who are inspired by something they're all the problem you know like the problem is like before we had like kind of editors or we had people who were were um also educated in like the arts and in certain cultural activities that were kind of in charge of things so from like television to magazines you know you had like a kind of diverse um array of things to watch and read and look at and like well traveled so and of course we had problems with racism because of that absolutely but there were like these small few who were driving forward the mass and now like the mass is driving forward everything else and it's let's say it's more diverse now but it had a higher taste level before and people i don't know it's like now they're cultured in tiktok as opposed to being cultured in the arts right so is that ever going to change are we ever going to go back to having an elite from the top down i mean i don't really think so but i mean the problem was like before they like i don't know i feel like now like they don't look back they don't look forward they just look side to side you know what i mean it's really uh they don't know the references of before and they don't really care to push it forward they really are just caught in this like following mode of the moment and the minute you follow what if someone just posted, you're already behind. You know what I mean? I always tell them right. that I'm like, you can't just do what someone else just did. Like that's, you're already late. Isn't it a burnout? Because I mean, the nineties was a reinvention, you know, of the seventies, but that took a decade. Now we just were doing the nineties for the last four years, let's say, <laughs> and we're already on to Y2K and early two thousands. So it, not only is it fast fashion, but now it's fast, like, fast ripoff like we're go we're running through it that what are we going to do after that there's go back again yeah i i yeah i don't know i mean part of it you know like we used to go on set but there were no references there was no you didn't get a what is that called like the image board they send for a shoot um the creativity killer yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know they just there wasn't anything like that you never got a like this is our inspiration for it and like they basically some 
honestly, sometimes I look at those boards. I'm like, what are you trying to say here? You have a Nan Golden and a Helmut Newton and a, you know, a Hollywood glamour picture and a homeless person. And, you know, you're like, what you're just. Absolutely. You're like, I don't know what the makeup, this is the makeup reference page and it's all over the map. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. It's not about really the makeup. It's just the vibe. And I'm like, well, you have every vibe on this thing. Of course, like I could put together a collage of all the pictures I love. Like it just doesn't mean anything. But we never had that before. We would all get together. Like I worked, when I started out, I worked a lot with Stephen Klein and we would get together for an editorial no one would know anything of what we're going to do. Maybe we'd know a location. Often we were in his studio in the meatpacking district, which was very cool. And it used to be owned by Kenny Scharf, the artist. And there were paintings of his on the walls everywhere and graffiti. And, um, you know, and we'd start and I would do whatever I wanted. And Ward or Jimmy Paul or Peter Savick or whoever was doing the hair would do whatever they wanted. And we would all you know, and the model would add her desires in as well. And we would all just kind of like create images that are very inspiring to this day because they came from some other source within each of us. And I but, feel like but that- for people listening, you would have to have some kind of starting point. I like the clothes or something. It wasn't just everybody getting together and being like, today I want to do, you know, um, a, you know blade runner makeup. well you know let's say if we were working if, if if we were working for vogue yeah there would be like a kind of you know kind of overall of like yeah we're shooting these kind of clothes but if we were doing id or you know a, a british magazine or french vogue or italian vogue or something it would kind of be like honestly it would sort of be whatever we make of it I mean, it really would like, cause there'd be an array of different clothes. The clothes don't always all go together because they're, you have to cover all these different designers. So it's really the hair and makeup that kind of ties the whole thing together. And of course the, the kind of photography. And sometimes we would shoot all day and then throw it in the garbage can and start again the next day and do something else. So it, it but it, what I'm saying is it came from inside of us and it didn't come from some, flat it it didn't come from an idea of copying something or even being inspired by something you know but and if somebody did want to use a reference to convey an idea like oh it's a penelope tree eye it was more it wasn't showing you the photo to copy it was like that was like a way to spark your imagination right and i knew what they were talking about and i knew i know exactly what the penelope tree eye is so i didn't have to look at a picture of it you know, right. and I didn't want to look at a picture of it because I didn't want to do it exactly the way it was done. Correct. Or hair. You know, I remember we did like with Jimmy Paul, we did this like giant afro on Christina Cruz of like, you know, he just curled her bleached white hair like into some big fluffy mass. And, you know, that maybe we said someone that was the inspiration. I don't know, but we didn't look at a picture and it just became this sort of magical thing. You know, it wasn't a rip off in his hands, you know, his hands were doing it like his, his inspired self created it. It wasn't copying something. So you've had contracts with um, L'Oreal and other brands. Did you find it difficult to keep 
your point of view and integrity and also sell, you know, understand yes. that, they, that they have different. <laughs> Tell me about that. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was living in Paris at the time and I was, you know, I was, I had been really great friends with Eddie Sleeman for years and years. And he was like going from like YSL men's to Dior, building Dior home with my friend, Sabisha Friedberg, who, you know, they created this company out of nowhere. And um, I was dating Nicola Jasquier, who was doing Balenciaga and I was friends and working with Karl Lagerfeld and working all the, uh, Olivier, I did Olivier Teskin's shows and Hermes with, Jean-Paul Gaultier and I, I was just doing so many different things when I lived in Paris and then you I'd go into the L'Oreal office with the marketing team and they'd say okay let's look at the trend book and let's decide what we're gonna do for you know this season we would do these sort of collect like seasonal collections together and I was like I don't need to look at a trend book because I'm making the trends with my friends and everything we're doing is in that trend book. Like they couldn't even conceive of that. Like that, you know, that, that I knew what was going on because, you know, they paid someone so many, so much money to compile some trend book. It, it was just of things it, that you're creating, but I, I just couldn't wrap my head around the way they worked. And then, I was really pushing like a fashion agenda, let's say, you know, I, I was like, look, these, those ads have to have fashion in them. They have to be stylish. They can't be like tacky. And uh, I, it was just, it was really hard. Honestly, I would come home to Nicola and just cry and, you know, or once I broke out into hives, like it was just a very difficult thing to be on those shoots with people who didn't, um, and he was going through his own thing with PPR group that yes, you guys he was, were probably both coming home and being like, we're getting eaten by this corporate monster. No, he was going through it. He would come home and he'd be like, Oh, they changed the CFO today. And he, he's coming from frozen foods, you know, like, and, <laughs> like I remember that he, like literally had to deal with this guy from frozen who had come from a frozen food company. And he said to Nicola, he was like, I think our companies have a lot in common, actually. You know, I, so where where do you go? You can't, it's just, you can't, I, I don't know how to fight that corporate thing. It's just very, it's, it's a, it's everywhere. And it's this weird structure that you, it's hard to break. And I really tried hard when I was at L'Oreal to, to break it and to do, and definitely like, you know, I got them to get rid of the pale green eyeshadow and to do a nat natural collections and use minerals and stuff like that. I mean, we, we did some good things and part of working with them was totally amazing. Um, but the whole marketing part of it, I find. And the financial security of having a contract. I mean, it must be really hard when that ends. Yeah, that was, I mean, of course that's, I had, I think I had one of the best <laughs> contracts of all time. Like, I just, there was really a great. They also don't do those contracts anymore. Like now the model is to have, well, if you're even going to have a makeup artist is to have more makeup artists who are yeah paid less. Like those contracts of the, you know, the Dick Pages of Shiseido and all of those big things. I don't think they exist like they used to. Yeah. 
And they really used me a lot. Like, a, honestly, they kind of used me like an ambassador, like the girls, like their models. I mean, I would really do a lot of, I did a lot of um, press for them and a lot of interviews and a lot of traveling around sort of promoting um, products we, we, we made and, you know, that, that was, but it was more encompassing. It was bigger than, than just that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I created collections and stuff. And also, it, you know, it was really funny to get to know the European beauty editors because I would be there and say like, oh, this, you know, whatever, this does this and this does that. And they really didn't believe it. They didn't just take it at face value. I felt like American editors would just be like, oh, okay, that's what they're saying. And it is like the French editors would be like, really? Really? Does it curl the lashes? Really? You know, like they really, um, they would combat you so that was that was a good and they should uh, yeah they people should, should be skeptical that's why we're in the situation we're in now and have you know five thousand brands that are all making the same thing is because everybody's just believing that that you know the next thing is the next is the big thing you know yeah yeah it's i read in an article in um the times by kathy horn in 2005 when you said that you know, Nicola was Gasquier was being treated unfairly. And then you said that um, Tom Ford was starting these rumors at, you know, the parent company that they both were involved in. I thought that was so funny because do you get yourself in, and then you ended up working for Tom Ford beauty. Do you get yourself in trouble for speaking your mind? I mean, I can't believe you actually found that. Um, Yeah. That, I mean, that I've, no, I kind of don't get into trouble. I always speak my mind against. There's been all sorts of crazy things. Did Tom happening. take issue with that? I mean, I didn't see him for a while at that time, so I don't. I don't know if he ever. But you weren't worried about it, you know? No, because it was the truth, and I was trying to protect Nicola, who was just having such a hard time doing trying to do what he did like as a young designer he was just trying to really be specific and set out to accomplish something that something quite visionary that was in his mind and he really had it hard at every every turn you know there were shows where he you know they were like i need another shoe you know they wouldn't pay for it like he's like but i have this amount of models you know like it, it was just kind of very uh very strange and then i'd work with carl who was at chanel and chanel would just be like whatever you want you know like there was no every models wearing 10 shoes at once (laughs) there were (laughs) shoes on arms on hands um and plus then the bag bag. no you know like there was just an endless support and of course there was such success with that kind of support and when you you know, of course, everything's so expensive in fashion, but when you nickel and dime things, like it, it's, you're not fully understanding why fashion is what it is. Like the, to be called something luxurious, you have to show it in a luxurious way, and you know, whatever. There was just it was a it was a it was a funny time that there was a lot of kind of childishness going on between. Uh, the people at French Vogue and there were rumors about from Carl to Eddie to Stephen Gann to Nicola to, you know, Mariamelie, you know, all these, everyone was kind of getting it from different sides. And I was trying to navigate 
And I, I guess as an American too, I kind of, you know, coming from a place where like Anna Sui is best friends with Mark Jacobs and, you know, like people were very Calvin friends with Donna, mm-hmm. like was, everyone was kind of friendly together here. And there were kind of these camps that were being set up in Paris when I was there. And I was, I was friends with kind of everybody and like navigating plus because of visionaire, we worked with people in a different capacity as well. And I was simultaneously sometimes doing their makeup for their shows or ads too. So, you know, I was kind of having to juggle uh, egos and personalities and um, that was tricky. You've done so many different media, creative mediums. You have visionaire, you've produced fashion shows, you've produced, you know, fine art. Are you, does that mean that you will just try anything and you're not afraid to fail? No, I'm, I am really afraid to fail. I I think it's a, not a good thing about me. I mean, I have friends who are like, I want to do this thing. And they just, they just do it. And I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. And they just still do it. And it's great because I do think it's great to do. It's great to put out into the world something creative like i, I really James, you do it <laughs> i do i mean honestly there's so many other things i want to do that I, i'm i hold myself back from doing i mean even social media like i'm not really i don't show myself that often like i just sometimes i film you know like let's say a tutorial on myself like you know and it, i just i don't like the way i look i don't like the way i sound i don't like so i won't i won't put it out there like some even something as simple as that but um you know before the pandemic we cecilia dean and i from visionaire produced this um co-produced this opera event which had um it was a multimedia event and it had justin peck who just choreographed west side story um choreographing and it had um opera singing hand um frederick handel and philip glass it had videos by like the top directors and people from tilda swinton and marissa tomei to james ivory rupert sanders all these different people and you got you were in the audience and you got pushed around in your chair to like through the orchestra and you got to see the singer and you got to see george kondo the fine artist painting a mural live every single performance and you kind of would see the wow. visual art or the dancing art or the video art or the singing art and um um that was so thrilling and like you know in the audience was mikhail Brishnikov and all these amazing people and i thought that was kind of a culmination of all these different things that i have done and it all landed in one spot somehow and that was really cool, but, um, but it was, you know, that actually was at a super high level and Ralph Simmons did the costumes. He was still at Calvin Klein. Um, you know, I, anyway, it was just kind of so, so, um, at a high level. Yes. It would be great if I could do some feel great about releasing some, you know, let's say demo kind of, uh, things into the world, but, those are really hard too. I mean, I, I can tell you as a man and like putting makeup on at home during the pandemic and trying to put something out there and you're like, ugh, you know, it's just, it's hard. I think it's hard for everybody. I mean, what about- I just look ugly. Like I wish, honestly, I wish I looked oh, better in makeup. No, but I wish I looked better in makeup. I just, I don't have that kind of face that 
you know, I can look great in the smoky eye or whatever. And I don't know, like I, I really jealous of people and I wish I honestly, sometimes I just wish I was a girl who could like look in the mirror and do it. Cause if you're doing it on someone else, it's actually, it's just camera wise. It's hard. It's hard to film doing makeup on another person because your hand is sort of blocking the whole thing or your face is blocking and you want to talk and it, it's great to talk into the camera and do it at the same time. But it's also hard to paint by numbers because a lot of times when I'm working on somebody, I'm feeling my way through and a lot of stages are ugly, <laughs> you know, where it's right. like not blended yet and it looks weird. And then, and so Me too. a tutorial that's in 10 seconds, it's like, it needs to look very like, you know, yeah. A one plus one equals five. Um, I wanted to ask the other thing that you balance is, Fashion, I've always thought of you as a fashion makeup artist, and there used to be a really big distinction between fashion and then the kind of more um, celebrity makeup artist. But you've also started doing um, more celebrity. And, you know, do you have a different approach work-wise, politically, and do you have a different approach makeup-wise between the two worlds? Yes. I think so. I mean, you know, when you're working on a fashion shoot, you take in, let's say, who, uh, the photographer. Everyone has a different light or a different style or different vibe. Like if you're working with Mizell or David Sims or Richard Burbridge or, you know, um, Peter Lindbergh before, like everyone had a kind of different vibe of the kind of woman, let's say, they're projecting out into the world you know like Stephen klein likes it a certain tougher stronger direct way and um certain you know mizel is like way more sort of fashion and kind of it's all about building you know kind of it is sort of about references and clothing and you know style and stuff like that and um i don't know everyone does does a different Thing and you have even technically like richard burbridge uses more of like a ring flash yeah right? like his, that's it's everything not really a ring flash, but it's, it's like this, right it's a very richard burbridge has an incredible light system that he has he only does and it's really powerful and that's why he gets the kind of skin texture that no one else gets and yes like for instance him he hates powder you can't you can't do anything uneven like with the skin or else you're gonna really see it like under a microscope so you have to make everything has to be very very even and smooth and you can't really use a lot of certain kinds of products you know so there's you know like working with i don't know irving penn and like figuring out how to glue candied fruit on a face and she's lying down and you know, like just all those, there's a lot of, let's say, technical issues to what I do. And then there's also like, yes, the vibe and being cool, or this one's more British, or this one's French, or this one's, you know, American. And yes, so like, I guess the more cool fashion thing has to arrive. And I would say it's more like pulled back and mm-hmm. less glamorous less eyelashy less of you know what i mean like less lip liner less like things that are you see on instagram like fashion people don't really like that kind of thing and i would i would go as far as to say that a lot of fashion people don't really like makeup per se like they don't really like this cosmetic kind of thing so right 
in a way, like a lot of my years, um, like those early 2000 years in Paris, like people, it wasn't really cool. I don't know. Like I didn't feel cool being a makeup artist because like people didn't really like makeup itself unless you did like one strong thing. You know what I mean? Like it was more like a gesture or like something kind of cool on the face. And whereas like with a celebrity, they just kind of want to look pretty and the photos you do with a celebrity are kind of more lifestyle-y and it's not really that high fashion kind of thing. It's really, they, you know what I mean? You just want to look yeah. good. But it's also scary. Um, the lighting for celebrity things like you don't it's know when crazy. you send them out like no, is terrible. it one photographer with the, their own flash and they're going to look greasy and underlit or is it's it vanity fair and it's beautiful and everything shows you know like red carpet is so hard because of the light like you step in and suddenly you're in this like white bouncing thing so no matter how much contour you put on like you the cheeks are just reflecting the white you know, walls and ceilings and they're, they're hit with like a thousand flashbulbs. And even if they set up light, honestly, we should really all protest this because the lighting on red carpet is so ugly and so bad. And I don't even know how people look. I mean, it's a, it's a terrible thing. What actresses have to go through. It really is. It's just, it's they're very nervous to go out on the red carpet you're completely scrutinized someone can zoom in on your armpit or your boob or your toenail or you know and they do that they they're they set out to it's it's a kind of it really is a kind of bullying it's a female bullying that happens on the red carpet and i think we should all attack back because then like for instance you're put in a dress that a designer made like a week earlier that you've never seen you put it on you have to you have nothing else to wear you go out in the red carpet and then someone they get attacked for wearing an ugly dress but no one attacks the designer for making the ugly dress like it's just it's such a weird thing like it's it's this playground where people get to bully women and it's just so it's so awful i mean like joan rivers did it in a really kind of funny way but it was also you know we you know it's like it's a strange thing that we feel like we can do that we can attack these actresses head to toe it's not cool it's really not no. nice i mean just to say like there's that that kind of psychological issue with working with an actress that they are kind of terrorized by this moment and so you have to work through someone not feeling great to even interact in this thing that they have to do so a lot of my work i feel like with a celebrity is just kind of psychological and getting them to a place where they feel kind of good about themselves and confident and strong enough to face the lions you know and have armor right yeah and have a kind of armor like sometimes i say look i gave you a face you actually don't have to do anything you can just stand there and breathe because the makeup is kind of doing it all for you. Like you look strong and you look fierce and you, you don't have to like put on a face, let's say, cause you have a mask. So yeah, sort of. I mean, yeah, something like that. Um, I have a, a segment called tried and true and something new. Do you mm-hmm. have a product that you can recommend that you've love and have used forever and swear by, and then also something new to you or new that you also love? Um, God, I think I go back a lot to, um, 
Francois Nars's Dragon Girl, which is a thick matte mm. pencil, which is just this like great, deep and bright, pure red color that I just love. And it's a matte pencil, so it's easy to put on. And um, it's just been around forever. And I remember the first time I've, I used it and I, I, it's always been in my bag and something new, God, something new. I, well, I've been, um, I've been very peripherally helping, um, my friend Alexandra Keating launch this new product line of, um, it's a refillable body care system called Uni. And she made this really delicious body serum, which is face grade but it comes in a big aluminum can, which is recyclable and you can send it back. It's like a subscription. It's like a prescription. It's a subscription um, program and it's so delicious. Like I just, I put it on this morning before the podcast cause I wanted to feel, <laughs> wanted to feel special <laughs> and it's just made with like the most, the purest ingredient ingredients, um, pure ingredients upcycled it's all like you know sustainable and intelligently made and i really love that and i also love um there's this product by acton acre which is a hairline right now that my friend helen does and um helen Reevy, and she made this new stem cell serum which is for mm. your scalp and it's supposed to help with hair growth and stuff like that but i use it on and it's really oh. good. So I've been putting it on like on people's faces too. And I love it. And does and it I, make your beard grow in too? <laughs> I don't know. My beard is getting along right now. Um, it just is really good for the skin. Like I feel like my skin has just kind of reached another level. When I, I want to try all of that. I know Dragon Girl and I always try to have it around, but I give them away. You know, when Me too. Carpet. I give but, it away um, all the time. The other two, I'm definitely want to try. It's I actually so nice great to- for the red carpet. Yes, like because it's an easy thing for someone to, you know, for Miley to touch up with or something like that. She's that. actually Miley's I'm- really great with her. She's a great. She's great at doing makeup. So I, I always feel like so safe leaving her alone. And you get to have fun with Miley doing makeup. Yeah, we have so much fun. So much fun. She's an awesome person she's so kind and fun and sweet and intelligent and funny we talented she's so talented i mean it's endless her talent like people get surprised they're like i heard you're live and she really does have a voice i'm like yeah bitch like she, she is the real deal she's the real deal performer she can do everything and, and she, she writes loves drag race right she loves drag race we often listen to drag songs before before a performance and i mean literally we could be like you know galliano i'm in galliano you know like right before she literally like two seconds before she walks on stage i'm sure that it has um her love of all that has informed her stage performance it cannot not you know yeah i think drag performers have are the highest form of like lives performance sometimes i mean when i was when i first came to new york i would go to rupaul and lady bunny shows rupaul was not what rupaul is today and it was great to watch you know watch they were so political and so strong and um 
you know, it was like this kind of beaming intelligence coming out of them. It, you know, for where like socially, I would say like people would be like, oh, that's a drag queen. But, you know, until you right. really see a drag show, you're like, whoa, that is a brain up there that is unmatched. Well, I want to get Lady Bunny on the podcast because she's so political and smart. I mean, I follow her on Instagram and I'm always like, wow, and outspoken and so fucking funny. Yeah, she's been Um, a friend for years and years. I adore Bunny. Bun Bun. So you just got back from South America on tour with Miley. When you go uh, on a trip like that, do you actually get to like visit sites and see anything or are you just going to stadium to stadium and working? Some, some places we got to have, you know, a little half a day off or something and we'd all run around together um, a bit and then you fly to another country. But you, you know, I tried to meet people everywhere i went and really talked to people it was so great to be in south america and be in a spanish speaking country and people were so warm and so lovely and so i don't know there was just a vibe there that is very not not united states of america yeah it's a different kind of america that i wish was more integrated into the united states i mean um i did have time well we missed one of the countries because we were flying from Colombia to Paraguay and our plane got hit by lightning. And what we were, we were flying and I was like, everybody get off your iPads and look out the window. And it was like stunning pink, peach, purple skies. And then like literally three minutes later, we were in a black thunderstorm with lightning. And there was just like, the plane was bobbing up and down and people were like, grabbing xanaxes you know people were was screaming it scary and crying. it was very scary and then we got hit by lightning and the the wing caught on fire and we had to make this kind of emergency landing and it was just like i was like i'm not going i'm not dying on the way to Lollapalooza. like that's just not gonna happen <laughs> so i felt like i felt confident that i wasn't going to die and i felt was okay. miley scared though yeah, every, I mean, every, I would okay. say everyone was scared. Okay, you're like scary. when the person who flies like that all the time is scared. Like when you look at the flight attendant and they look scared, then it's yeah. time to freak. No, they out. were. It was freaking out time, and like the plane was really dropping, and like, and then I didn't see the wing on fire until after I saw the hole. But um, wait, the wing on fire? Yeah, like it got hit by lightning, and oh my god, you buried the lead there. It was. I would yeah, freak no, it was, out. It was. I didn't see it. Thank God. But like it whatever we finally made this sort of emergency landing and then we went to the good thing about it was we went to brazil a day early or two days early um so we had extra time there and i i have a friend ronnie there and he took me out um so he actually took me out to this this was really fun he took me out to this giant gay dance party and i haven't really been to one of those and it was so cool because there were just every color skin was there every kind of body was there people were like half naked and so proud of their bodies and everyone i met they hug you and they kiss you and they hold on to you and like it's so affectionate and i i just it was so i could do that i'd love to do that <laughs> yeah she go to brazil soon we all um, we all need a trip to brazil do um, you do you do anything special for uh, stage performance well, you know, 
Miley, there's a lot for Miley to prepare for a show. She takes her work very seriously. And so I need to figure out what I'm doing. And we wanted to change it up and be more, I don't know, do like really strong looks, have it feel a little fashion-y, let's say. Um, so I had to really kind of plan out how I was going to apply certain things. Like, so, you know, like I did a lot of things with glitter and it's just such a pain because you, you actually do it hours and hours and hours in advance because then there's a lot that happens in between and, and until the show. So you can't really wait. You can't do it so fresh, right? So you have to do something mm-hmm. that lasts a long time. And for instance, we all know glitter just gets everywhere. So I had to figure out how to get that glitter on that doesn't go everywhere, but also isn't like a torture to take off. Cause like by the time she's done with her show, she's so spent and she just gave her all on stage to, you know, we, she played crowds of a hundred, five thousand people. It was massive, like massive hysteria, massive, like the, all the, the fans would run after us and like shake the van and, you know, it was oh hard to God. get in. It was hard. It was like, it was like Michael Jackson level. It was full on hysteria and screaming and crying. And, and she loves her fans. So she like tries to see them. And you know, a lot of them know me and they, you know, they're like, I'm right outside the hotel. Like take this jacket for her. And, you know, it's like, it's so, it's so touching and sweet. Um, but there, but it's a lot of energy and a lot of people. And so the makeup kind of has to really hold up and, um, you got to figure it out and you got to be smart about how you apply it and you can't redo it and take it off. And you know what I mean? I just don't want to put her through any kind of torturous uh, application process. So I really try to figure it out in my mind, like with the steps I'm going to take to create Mm -hmm. her face um, with her. How long do you get with her to do the makeup the first time Um, before a show? We get, I mean, we get a good amount of time hair and makeup. We really do. We get, um, we got you know a couple hours, mm-hmm. and plus we're kind of all together for like longer than that because there's warming up and there's all all sorts of things that go on, um, which are plus there's just uh, there's so much laughter and so much like hilarity hilarity I would say that goes on too which is just great and then like the, the styling. Bradley Kenneth who does her styling is so awesome and you know we're all there and they're looking at looks and it's like looks you know like it's so fun the whole styling part of it and her body's so incredible and the whole thing is just so up level and a joy it's it's hilarious and then is it is it hard to watch the performance for the makeup because you're just looking at it going oh my god please just like (laughs) no i thought no it looked i thought it looked good you know she lets me go in the there's a pit in front of the audience or sometimes she lets me go even like on the speakers like right on stage kind of right in the front of the stage and i video i do a bunch of videos for her and um it's you know you I'm looking at her and then you turn around and there's like a hundred thousand people. It's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. Um, you know, and you're dealing with whatever, there's just a lot of security and it's just a very intense, um, thing. And it's also really fun. And you're watching someone at the, at her, the height of her, 
power and talent, you know, releasing that beautiful voice, you know, into the world. And she just, she just knocks me out every time. Like her performance, you have to see her live. Like if, if you guys, if anyone out there has not seen Miley live, you have to see her live show. It's just, it's mind blowing. She's so good. Amazing. So I always ask everyone the same final question is if you could go back in time and meet yourself somewhere, where would it be? And what would you say? Mm. God. I'm, I'm having a memory of being at this nightclub called area when I first got to New York and it was so great because it was thematic. And so we'd go and dress up in theme, which later I realized influenced doing visionaire, which was always thematic. And, um, I would go talk to Andy Warhol there and he, I, I was always surprised, like no one was talking to him and I would be able to talk to him for a long time. And he once told me, he was like, you should do makeup. Cause I used to wear a lot of makeup out, but like kind of, you know, crazy makeup. And, um, I just, there, there, there have been moments in my life when I wish I would have kind of interviewed people a bit more, you know, like ask mm-hmm. them questions. Like when, when I was sitting with, Irving Penn at lunch. Like I would try to ask him about like the old sittings he did or with Avedon, you know, the, the, there's just, when someone dies, you're like, Oh God, I wish I'd asked him about this thing. And like that, all that knowledge has died. And I, I wish I was kind of braver at times. Like let's say to my younger self, I would have said really to go for it go for it. And I say this to young people or old people, honestly, it's not really an age thing. It's just like, we all have to do what we want to do with grace and kindness and follow your heart and follow your gut instinct, develop even what that gut instinct is. So you know, to follow something that's coming from inside of you also to like, be able to be a creative person no matter what you do in life like just to find that creative spark because it really is the thing that makes life worth living i think hmm. did i answer your question right yeah, Amazing. yeah. <laughs> totally okay i'm gonna say a name or a word okay here's a little game i'm gonna say a name or a word and you just tell me the first thing that pops into your mind here we go nicola Gasquier. Love. Carl Lagerfeld. Funny. Miley. Hugs. Steven. Which Steven? <laughs> I purposely left it like any of the Stevens. Um, visionary. RuPaul. Intelligent. Tom Ford. Art direction. Kim Kardashian. Non judgmental. Andre Leontali. Fabulous. Ted Cruz. Uh, gross. <laughs> and Ron DeSantis. Uh, disgusting. 
Um, liars. Okay, I'm... Lying fools, liars. Yeah. I don't believe what they, they don't believe in, I don't believe they believe what they're even saying. They like, don't. They, they, they don't. keep changing their mind and they, it's just to like politicize something. It's just terrible what's happening. Like we all have to fight it. Like they're removing rights from women. They're doing these terrible things for, for gay kids. It's just, it's horrifying what we're living through. We all have to fight it. You can't be complacent. Like we cannot be complacent. We all have to use our platforms to educate people on what's going on. It's just, it's, it's a horrifying time. And get involved in the mid in the elections, you know? I mean, in France, they just had an election and like, two super right-wing people got, you know, on for the ne- next week's um, Yeah, Le Pen has had 22, mm. 25% of the vote. Don't yeah. quote me on that, but it, yeah. it's f- horrifying. Yeah. Um, okay, a mixed tempura basket arrives at the table. You get one piece. Which is it? <laughs> uh, sweet potato. Mm. Japanese Craziest wine. Yeah, so good. I'm I'm choosing the broccoli. Um, craziest place you've ever shot or worked? Mm. Egypt, Cairo. Least favorite direction for makeup? Don't do anything. Do you have a work uniform or do you always dress differently? I always dress differently. I'm so boring now. I mean, honestly, I used to dress really crazy and I'm trying to get back into it. This is called It's All Greek to Me. Favorite Greek island? I'm Greek, so. Uh, Santorini. No, Kithra. Do you speak Greek? Just the food. Oh, okay. I made spanakopita last night. Oh, I was okay. My next one is favorite (laughs) Greek dish. Is Is that it? I think so, yeah. Okay. I made the coils um, last night. I love Greek food. Longest Greek name you know? Caliardos. No, of those longer for sure. I don't know. I went to school with Katarina Kiriakopedi. Oh my God, that's a good one. So, and her brother's was, name was Sophocles. So they were like the Greekest Greek, you know. Nicola um, thought, and when I met Nicola, he was like, "I thought you, I thought your name was fake. I thought you made up your name." <laughs> I was like, huh. "I wish." Um, Greek men are blank to me. Hot. Yeah. Um, the best <laughs> Greek restaurant in New York City. I really don't have one, honestly, because I cook it myself, and it's so much better. Good answer. This is the last segment called like why can't or- people make why can't people make baklava? I just don't get it. Why can't you get a good piece of baklava anymore? I had a um, Syrian friend send me. I, I believe it was baklava, and it was what? incredible. Mm. Well, I do like cafe uh, pie cafe p p i. Oh, on, okay. On the broom, I have to check that out. They're baklava. Um, Okay, makeup or breakup? You're going to make up with it or break up with it? Contour. Makeup. Wait, meaning like yes or no? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's yeah. like Joan Rivers got to have it or make it stop. So okay. makeup or breakup? Makeup. So contour. Contour, makeup. Okay. 90s lip liner. Obsessed makeup. 
in-person meetings. Makeup. Early 2000s fashion reboot. Breakup. Instagram. I looked awful in the early 2000s. Um, <laughs> I mean, those clothes. Um, makeup. Instagram. Awesome. Well, James, um, it's so nice getting to meet you if this counts as meeting someone, you know, over. No, we got to meet for real. Instagram. Yeah. Um, I. I know that you've had set like over a 30 year career. So hopefully we got to some good key points, but there's so much more that um, we could always get to. And I just want to thank you for being on the show. It was great talking with you. Thank you so much. Thanks. Queen. Thank you. And I love this series you do. It's so, so great. I wish I could do a podcast. I think you should. Like when you said your answer about wanting, wishing you could ask people before, you know, they're gone. Maybe that'll be your, your podcast could be like before you die. You know, and then you ask people what you want to know before, <laughs> before they die. <laughs> they might not appreciate that. But, I'm but not dead it, yet. But I like that idea. I did have an idea. I wanted to do this whole video series. I mean, I've wanted to for ages, like about with older people, because I, I, I'm obsessed with older people and their, their, their creativity and what they've done. And, you know, I want to hear, I want to hear from, from them. Hmm. I guess you, you're into wisdom. I'm big into wisdom. It's nice with Miley too, because she, she, Miley loves older people. You know, we, we used to work a lot with Orbe before he died. It was so crushing that he, he died. Yeah. And, and just all his stories and all of him, like, you know, there's like people of a certain age are just full of knowledge and wisdom and, and style and, passion and you know know how to do it yeah well i'm really looking forward to my 30s (laughs) all right well have a great day and uh please keep in touch okay thanks Quinn. thanks so much for this bye bye